Okay, so uh, let's get started. Uh, it's a pleasure to welcome you all and our speaker. And uh, my name is John Chalcraft. I'm a professor of Middle East history and politics in the government department. I work on social movements and migration and uh, labour histories. What we're doing here is uh, we have. Um, well, actually, Sarai is going to show a very short sort of some clips from a, a documentary, uh, about three and a half minutes, right at the beginning, just to give a, a vivid sense of what's going on. Uh, then you have about ten minutes to present your paper. Then I'll say something. For, so I will act as discussant for five to ten minutes, no more. And then uh, you have then the right to sort of reply if you want to. Uh, but um, we can then also open up the floor uh, for discussion. So uh, that's the format of the seminar. It gives us a chance to have a proper discussion uh, and some two-way conversation about this very important topic and with someone who knows a very great deal about it. So um, if you do turn off your phones, that would be great. This talk is going to be recorded. It's going to go on a, on a podcast. We All of the social movements and popular mobilization in the Middle East seminars uh, go on podcasts. So do you know, take a look if you want to see some of the others. Uh, it's, it's, in, it's somewhere called the Middle East Center SoundCloud. That's where you can find these podcasts uh, or on, you know, on, on the website more generally uh, somewhere. Uh, so it's a pleasure to welcome Soraya Al-Kahlawi uh, with her paper In the Name of Modernity, Urban Expansion and Land Grabs in Morocco. Um, she's uh, a, a PhD candidate in sociology at the EHESS, the École des Hautes Études en Sciences Sociales uh, in Paris, and her research focuses on public space and its reappropriation in Morocco since uh, 2011, and she has a number of publications already. One uh, has come out in La Revue Marocaine des Sciences Politiques et Sociales, that was in March 2017, and it's called uh, Au Nom de la Modernité, uh, and uh, about dispossession of uh, small uh, peasantry and urbanization and privatization in, 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 in this case too. She also is a political activist who works on several issues around human rights and land expropriation, and she has directed a documentary called Landless Moroccans, which tells the story of the Guiche Odeya's resistance to land expropriation. So really, it's a, it's a great pleasure uh, to welcome her here, uh, and a treat for us to have her at LSE on this uh, important topic. Um, so you're very welcome to tweet about this event uh, and you can use the hashtag hashtag LSE Morocco and welcome again the floor is yours uh, let's welcome Sarah. Uh, hi everyone. First of all, I really want to thank Sandra and John for giving me the opportunity to share with you my one part of my research. And I really want also to excuse for my really bad English and my French accent, but that's life. It's <laughs> my life for now. So um, I will. Uh, unfortunately, I think that I will read my paper because my English is not so good. 
but I will try not to read all of all of it. So I will give a little short introduction, and then we will see some extracts of my documentary, just to put you in the global uh, context of uh, the paper, and then I will give some other information to discuss. So in February 2014, in the heart of the chic neighborhood in Rabat, Hayriyad, uh, police forces forcefully destroyed the homes of the, the Warled Limbs inhabitants, members of the Gish Udaya tribe. Um, this Gish Udaya tribe is actually an old warrior tribe, settled in Fez and charged of defending the royal throne uh, in the seven, uh, 18th uh, century. The Sultan Mulay Abdrahman made them exchange arms for lambs in the outskirts of Rabat. So they settled on, on the land in, in Rabat, and this is how this old warrior tribe became peasants. So for like one, one century, they were in Rabat and they were like cultivating their lands. But with the arrival of the colonial power, their lands were coveted and made to serve urban expansion. So with the colonial power, uh, a new law was made and they considered the Gish land as state land, as state collective land. So they made the inhabitants usufructuary. Uh, so they are not real, uh, they don't have the real property of, of the land and the real property of the land uh, was given to the Ministry of the Interior, so they dispossessed them of the of the ownership of their land. And this law was never changed bef before after the independence of Morocco. So uh, we have like the big, big, big lands near Rabat, and and because they are like very vulnerable. So the Ministry of the Interior take the land and and take them yes to serve urban expansion and also uh, they give them to build Hayriyad neighborhood who was at the beginning uh, a neighborhood made for the um, how we said functionnaire civil servants did again. Uh, civil servants. Civil servants. So, so this was also a political action at the beginning of the the eighties, and well, it take a lot of time also because it was a, a lot, a lot of land. And in two thousand and three, a new protocol uh, was made uh, specifically for the Duwarulet limbs, and uh, they decided to expropriate the Duwarulet limbs to make a new luxury spaces for new apartments and they expropriate the inhabitants uh, also they they uh, they use the UN program city without slums and consider the the the, the Duwarulet limb as slums and in between 2003 and 2040 and 14, uh, some inhabitants was expelled from, from the land and some of them were compensated, not a lot, but they were compensated. 
and some of them uh, were waiting the compensation and you know also that between 2011 and 2014 in 2011 it was like this revolutionary period so in Morocco uh, every big project urban project was like frozen for like uh, yes for like uh, three years and in 2014 all the urban projects who were built on like uh, slums or collective land was they were like taken back and this is the case also of Duaruled Lim so in 2014 they they come back to like the authority come back to 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 Duaruled Lim to expel like the remains inhabitant without compensation and I meet the inhabitant in this context and uh, I follow them for in all their resistance in this context so I will show what I think So some of the some of the images are mine, but the images of the destruction was uh, they were filmed by Fatmi, uh, one of the inhabitants of uh, of uh, the Gishludaya, and uh, it's also interesting to to see that all the images of the destruction that you will see uh, they are filmed by one inhabitant. So he was like also aware that. It is the only that the, the the like that the images can be a weapon uh, for them because they need to mediatize uh, this case.
فيها الحامض فيها الشفرجل فيها البرقوق الزيتون البنان جوج جوج الكيار اللي بغيتي كاين الحامض المهم شردونا وخلونا مشردين الى يومنا هذا داير عندنا بالراكه داير عندنا زريبه وهي راه اطفيله حيا فيها ثلاثه دكتارات واش ثلاثه دكتارات في الكواله ديالها ثمانيه ديال المنازل ولا تسعه ديال المنزل اللي كان فيها والبشر ثمان اثنين وثلاثين واحد يعيش فيها داير عندنا داير لها زريبه حسب لنا مع مالي مالي العدو بالراكه يلاه يلاه So, so this is Fatmi, the the one who was filming the destruction, and uh, the one who was also who given me give me all the archive of of uh, of the the Gish land of the Wawledlim because in 2008 uh, he started filming uh, his wife and his peasant life, uh, and this is also very interesting how how this man uh, really wanted to to register uh, the memory of uh, of uh, of the Gish uh, of the Gish tribe because uh, he he is very aware that that uh, the pro this process of of eradication of uh, of the, the of peasant land is also a process of eradication of memory of identity and he is always uh, describing uh, the expulsion and like the big project of of uh, of, uh, of Hayriyad as a project of rape. He always used this this word, and I think it's a it's a very important word uh, that uh, his land was raped by uh, by by big project. So we will skip uh, all of uh, big part of. Uh, of this video to to go to one testimony that I find very interesting of one woman uh, who is uh, basically talking about citizenship and how also uh, she what is, is interesting that she make a, li a very interesting link between expulsion and the, the feeling of being out of the state of law, of being out of uh, Moroccan. And that's why also the, the documentary was uh, named Landless Moroccan. And in Morocco, in, in Moroccan, the, the, the title was Washhna Mgarba, Are We Moroccans? Are we are we still Moroccans? And I think that this this, this testimony would give you an idea of uh, of this thing. <laughs>
ناس ولا 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 وحوش ولا اوباش الحديقه الحديقه عباد الله اللي فيها الحيوانات معترفوا بهم ومعطاهم حقهم والبشر اللي هو بشر كرموا الله تكرم في بلادي الا ما تكرمش بلادي وبكرامتي وبشخصيتي في بلادي ما نعترفش من البلاد عندي ما ندير بها اللي ما معترفاش بها البلاد انا دابا كنتصل ما عرف الا الا بغيت ندير بها فيها عندي قديمه Also, I find this image very, very relevant because we see the new building uh, that uh, now is. Uh, it was in 2015. Now the building is finished, and like th this woman who is still trying to to live the way that she used to live. So that's the the. I think three days after they were totally, totally, totally expelled from, from the land. So that's it for the images. Mm -hmm. All right, so you have about six minutes. Okay. So uh, I, I think that um, I, I just want to, to emphasize this. Uh, three or four things maybe that we can discuss after. Uh, one of the first thing is uh, that I think it, this case is interesting to, to make a comparison between the concept of gentrification which is very well known here in Europe and, and, and the process of expulsion that uh, we know in Morocco and all the global south because it's not exactly the same but in the same time also it uh, it uh, there is some yes yeah, some history thing that the, the we cannot connect for example with uh, the movement of the enclosure in uh, that uh, that begins in the first time of the capitalism but also here we have a reconfiguration of of uh, this kind of capitalistic logic, and I think that this is in this reconfiguration that we need to to try to understand uh, what happens now, what's how the the capitalism uh, through like urban space, for example, uh, works now in the global south, and uh, that's uh, the other thing. It's I think for. To study that, like seriously, we have to pay attention to the people discourse and to people discourse in the resistance. That's why also I used the camera because I was really, I really wanted to pay attention to, to what, what's, what, how the people describe their own situation. And when we pay attention to this, we discover a lot of things. And one of the things that is very, I think, interesting. It's that uh, uh, that I discovered is that the people made a connection between the colonial logic and uh, and the present. Like it's not theoretical. It's not me having a theoretical thing in my mind saying, "Oh, uh, there's a link between uh, like uh, colonial g grabbing and actual grabbing." No, it's people saying like, saying like, oh, "We are living in Morocco, 
but uh, uh, it's the it's the new co colonialism. And uh, one one of the inhabitants said it very well that uh, we were that they are now colonized by our brothers, like our like uh, by the Moroccan uh, Ministry of Interior and like by the states. So also this is interesting because uh, through the discourse of the inhabitants we can follow the link between how the capitalism enter in Morocco and all the global south creates the state and how the state now is 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 evolving as a um, predator 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 <laughs> as a predator state and uh, so that's for the global global image and what also is interesting it's to see how people resist to this and uh, how people resist to this they, they resist by the occupation and this is very very for me interesting because they are not resisting by the law they because they understand that this state the state of law is not for them like it's it's not for uh, the marginal marginalized people they they really know that so they, they don't waste a lot of time of uh, trying to to act within the state of law. Uh, first of all, they don't have money to pay like good lawyers, and and in Morocco, everyone know that uh, the courts are also corrupted, so they know that. And in in this process of of resistance, what is also interesting is how they create a new discourse, and uh, the new discourse that the inhabitant creates is a, a discourse that. Uh, um, is based on their identity of the identity of the community, the identity of the Gish tribe. This is very present in their discourse because they really want to emphasize this. What the state is totally uh, erasing that they are an old uh, warrior tribe with a huge identity, and they were linked to the king, and uh, and they're like. That's why they they, they keep. Uh, telling that they are not slummers, they are not, they are not slummers. They are like a tribe, and that also is interesting because we can see now the contrast between the pre-capitalistic logic that we were uh, lived in, the logic of tribe, and now the new logic that uh, the new, the modern state, and the colonial state is totally erasing uh, the, the the tribe identity, and. But it's uh, it's uh, it's not the subject. But still, it's interesting also to compare that now in Morocco uh, with the big social movement of the Hirak. Also, the Amazigh identity is put. Uh, it's uh, it's yes. They 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 use also the Amazigh identity and the tribe logic to uh, to contest and resist the state. So we can see also now that it's still. Uh, it's still ongoing, the fight between the m modern logic and also the pre-capitalistic logic. So, uh, And the other thing also that I think is also very interesting in the resistance is how they use the image. So how they, 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 they occupy the public space, but not only the land, but also they are trying to uh, occupy the, the media. 
and they are super aware of that and uh, also that I think this is also interesting because uh, in this like ongoing logic of contracts between modern and pre-modern thing we can see that also with the globalization there were like something that all people understand now and all people understand that we have to be present in the social media in the press uh, by the images and we can see like this old man using the camera because he's aware of that and also this is i think interesting in the process of of resistance in the in this uh, in this uh, global world so i think that's that's uh, i use my 6 minutes or right <coughs> Um. Yes. Yeah, no, thank you very much. I, I think this is important research. I think it's an important uh, uh, set of thematics. I mean, for several reasons. <coughs> One is that people often, um, <coughs> I don't know if any of you read that article by Laila Abu Lugard, it's about romancing resistance. You, you know, you look at the resistance of Bedouin women and it turns out they resist the patriarchy but then they get entangled in some other kind of power by doing consumption. And, uh, and so it's this idea that you sort of resistance is a sort of, um, it can, it can, uh, it, it sort of endlessly entangles people in circuits of power. And it's a very common view, it's quite common in post-colonial theory, it's quite common in um, studies that um, draw on discursive notions of power. But I, I think Sarai is doing something different by saying, uh, actually we should listen to the discourse in order to diagnose the kind of power that's at work. So that's a different uh, move, and uh, I think that's interesting. Um, I mean, I think part of the interest of this is that you do have the, the levels uh, of, of discourse that are at work. There's the king, there's the question of law, there's the question of citizenship, there's the question of custom, you know, the customary right to the land, which they know is no longer, as it were, relevant within the legal categories that are at work. And then there's the warrior uh, tribe, ancestrally. Then there's that autochthonous language. I, I wanted to, I wondered where... I mean, given that there's this savviness about categories, does that tie into a, a kind of a UN discourse of indigeneity, mm. which is also out there globally that people can can key into? You know, speaking about mixtures and, and forms of hybridity, you know, there's obviously that at work in the discourse. I mean, thinking of that, however, though, I wonder if it's a bit clunky to say it's pre-capitalist to invoke the king. I mean, as we know, it's for a long time monarchy since the 70s, Morocco, Jordan, Kuwait, GCC, it's, it serves all sorts of purposes and functions within, within varieties of capitalism, right? So it might, I mean, there's, there, there, must, there is a kind of time-space compression where you imagine a past but, and then you invoke it in the present, but lots of, I mean, capitalist actors do that, right? They do that all the time. I mean, look at how you sell stuff to tourists, for instance. So it's not. It, I wonder if it's pre-capitalist. Maybe that. I, I, maybe it's. It's actually part of the the many uh, overlapping sorts of languages and discourses that, that people deploy in many ways. I mean, thinking of the enclosures, people resisted the enclosures in England in the 16th century by invoking sort of long defunct Tudor statues, which were no longer present. But they would say, "This is our right to the land, etc." But um, 
So there are always those sort of combinations, aren't there? Idealized pasts that can flash up at moments of danger in the present, as it were. But anyway, I think it's interesting to look at the discourse and to see how it can diagnose uh, forms of power. Because what you refuse is a very common trope, um, which is the kind of spectralization of the subaltern. This sort of idea the subaltern cannot speak, is that, you know, that whatever they say just repeats dominant categories, and we're not, therefore we're not interested really. Or it's a common critique of what happened to subaltern mm. studies. And, uh, you know, for those of us who, who think it's important to think about the sort of active subjectivities, perhaps, you know, in the Gramscian tradition or whatever, then it's important to take it, it seriously. But there's a second reason why it's interesting, because, which is that... Um, you're sort of linking it to, to capitalism and accumulation by dispossession. And again, often people who study capitalism, accumulation by dispossession, it's quite a materialist analysis. Uh, and uh, we don't really hear very much about what, um, you know, the diverse, uneven uh, political and cultural discourse of people who are dispossessed. We just don't. Do we read it in David Harvey's book, The Brief History of Neoliberalism, The New Imperialism, Accumulation by Dispossession? No. So, um, uh, because we hear about logics that somehow inhere in the mode of production. And so, uh, here, I, 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 think, um, I, I think by probing into those languages, uh, that, that, you know, it stands a chance of, of tackling those issues around, around, you know, issues of materialism and teleology and modernism and so on that are at work in, when people come to study capitalism. But that rape trope is interesting. I mean, is that the rape of the land? I mean, presumably that's linked to uh, sort of uh, gender concepts and concepts of honor and shame and, and other things. I wonder if that could be explored a bit more. I mean, there is work, isn't there, in Middle East studies on, you know, erd, the honor of the land, ord and erd, you know, this kind of, and, uh, and, 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 and the rape of the land. What does that mean? Why is that being invoked in that way? And then, and then, of course, the the, yeah, the the language of are we Palestinians now? Are we you know is the state that, like Israel the occupation? The, I mean, you have you have that right? in Syria after 2011. That language of the, the regime is actually occupying uh, us. It's acting like a colonial power. But but then um, but then it's very specific, isn't it? The rights that are being denied in this case have to do partly with. Uh, you know, the, the, the children of the mothers, and, and you have this part in the paper where it's, you say that the land has actually been allocated by the Ministry of Interior to unnamed foreign third parties, is that mm. it? Mm. You mean literally foreigners as in non-Moroccans? No, or or no, foreigners as in something else? For, foreigners like foreigners to the tribe. Ah, okay. Yeah, it's okay. not foreigners. I'm sorry, I missed that. What did you say? She said foreigners to the tribe, not oh, foreigners no. from, you know, outside Morocco. Okay, yeah, that makes, that, I, that, that's easier mm. to understand. Mm. So, um, and, and, and it's those unnamed persons, as it were, who, and that's why they invoked the idea that you couldn't compensate the sons of women, uh, Gish members, as opposed to, to males, okay. So that again, you know, there's obviously issues of, of kinship around that. So it was interesting that we are not slum dwellers assertion. So on the one side, there's the tribal past, but on the other side, 
she gave numbers, didn't she? She said 32 he people or something, uh, 8 hectares. Mm -hmm. Isn't she saying we're not overcrowded like a slum? I mean, isn't it part of the UN definition of a slum mm. that it's overcrowded? And, and she's saying we're not overcrowded. Is that what she's saying? Because it's not just a an ancestral memory, it's also quite technical. It's, you know, she gave the number of hectares, the number of houses, and the number of inhabitants. I just wondered if, you know, thinking of Mike Davis's book, Planet of Slums, and, and uh, how you kind of step, because, you know, obviously saying we're not slum dwellers is, you also wonder, obviously, you know, subaltern social groups, they, you have to, they face a decision. Do you widen out the struggle? Do you include slum dwellers? Mm -hmm. You know, because then you might gain traction. You might bring other people into your cause because now we speak for slum dwellers. But they're very much excluding that possibility and perhaps they're buying into, oh, those slum dwellers are, are sort of dirty and overcrowded and they don't have our lineage. And that, I suppose, raises that perennial... Yeah, it's that question of you know, the articulation of struggles. Are they... Is that... Is that... Uh, is there... A, what, how do we negotiate that? And what are they losing and what are they gaining? by making this denial of the slum, as it were. Because obviously they're surrounded, aren't they, by... There are many slums, there are so... I mean, uh, but, um, yeah, so that's... But, but, but then this business of... I, I found very interesting, you know, resisting by occupation rather than making demands and resisting by occupying uh, the mediascape. And, uh, yeah, this clear, you know, the recording and the performance to you, the filmmaker, that's very interesting as well. Uh, it's interesting in terms of a kind of a Gramscian war of position. You know, you, you act by occupying sites within civil and political society. You you have to rearticulate. You can't. It's not necessarily always a full frontal uh, assault on you know institutions of state power. And obviously, they invoke the king and they have a flag, right? So they they have a flag, but at the same moment as saying, "Are we Moroccans?" It's not this quite the same, is it? As saying we're completely not Moroccans. You know, if you have the flag and. The, Anyway, so uh, so just I wanted to say I think it's important work, interesting, and I think probing those discursive elements and also considering uh, the, the repertoires uh, in terms of uh, occupation and occupying the mediascape, and then how do you how do you speak about all that without invoking the kind of clunky dichotomies: tradition, modernity, pre-capitalist, capitalist, because those. I mean, you, you, know, you, you know, it's like you can't... You, there's all, those hybridities have been around for sort of two or three hundred years, and it, they keep getting... You know, they often get re-invoked by those who use those big historical sociological categories. So how do you sort of get away from them? But uh, uh, So anyway, I think that's very interesting and raises uh, a lot of issues and can join important conversations in the study of you know, praxis or social movements or contentious mobilisation. So you have a right now to respond to any of that, and then, but then the floor is open for, for discussion. Um, thank you. Just to uh, maybe uh, do some like precision. So uh, for the um, autochthonous discourse, mm. yes, the the UN UN discourse about like, uh, like indigenous people. It's also interesting because uh, to compare with what's happened now in Morocco, uh, in the, the, the Gish tribe really do not use the indigenous discourse of the UN. Okay. Really not. Uh, mm. 
but uh, the the Amazir movement or some part of the Amazir movement, uh, they they make a strange link with the UN discourse of mm -hmm. the indigenous people, but it it, it didn't work because. Uh, because in Morocco, uh, indigenous people is like all the people. It's uh, you know it's difficult. It's not it's not really the same because the indigenous di discourse of the UN is based basically in uh, Latin America, whereas a lot of white population who still in the land. So also and uh, yes, it's it's uh, it's interesting also to to see how how this thing of. Uh, Yes, autochthonous discourse is not. Yes, it's not shape as the UN discourse, and I think also maybe it can open some reflection on on this thing. And um, at, yes, how they invoke the king. Uh, first of all, the, the king is always a reference for the. Subaltern struggle, struggle, or for the marginalized struggle, for the simple reason that the first thing that uh, we are, we can be accused of, is to be against the king. So the first thing that we have to say when we have social demands, it's long live the king. So we are not against the king. Okay, so now let's talk. Mm -hmm. So that's. That's always the same. So that's why also the Moroccan flag is present. Uh, for example, also in the social movement of Imidar in the south of Morocco, they are struggling against a mining company, a mining royal company. They also have the Amazir uh, flag because they are Amazir and the Moroccan flag. And when we ask them like why the Moroccan flag say okay because we don't have problems so we just want to like uh, find a deal to have like our social rights uh, so we put the flag so so that's also the the thing but in the Guiche case it's true also that they invoke the king it's it's yeah, it's a way also to to talk about their lineage of course because they were one of the closest tr tribe to to the Mahsen, to the to the king in the 17th century, mm -hmm. and also one of the most rebellious uh, against the king because mm -hmm. before the colonialism, the the the, the sultan, the Mahsen, was not very strong mm -hmm. uh, and was not very. It was not an institution. It's the colonial power that make the Mahsen uh, and the king an like legal and an institution. So also it's it's this ambivalence is, is also is also yes yeah, it's, it's it's funny because they really do not evoke that they were a rebellious tribe and I, I'm I'm sure they know that in their history because they know their history that they were super rebellious against the Mahzen but now it's like we were a Mahzen tribe, and it's 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 we don't understand why we are like we are erased like this. We're not slum dwellers. We were a Mahzen tribe, but when you see history and you read a lit, little bit about their history, you understand that they were also super rebellious. And uh, yes, about the question of rape, I, I never think about this uh, gender shape, but. 
also one of the things is in in Arabic uh, for land grabbing we said irtisab mm -hmm. so we said rape yeah. Yeah, so this is also the uh, maybe the and for the articulation with slam dwellers this was one of the things that I was always talking about them about this but okay you're not slam dwellers but if you were slam, slam dwellers still it's not like good to, to this thing happens like this but in Morocco and in 2000 and like before the Hirak before 2017 so this big social movement uh, the, the the struggles of the margin were very um, circumcised they are circumscribed yes so it was not it was always the individual logic of each struggle so it was not about articulation not at all also because it was the counter revolution that begins in 2013 and uh, yes and 13 and people were super afraid and uh, and also i think that the lot lot of political arrests that uh, have been yes making in morocco with the herak um, um, make us realize that i think that people uh, have the right to, to, to be afraid because people know that there was a lot of repression also so people try to just focus on their social domains and uh, that's enough uh, I think that that's it Just to clarify the segmentation of, of struggles that's uh, you were saying it's sort of familiar pre-2011 and familiar since 2013 Yes Okay. Mm. But now it's not the case. Now it's, it, it's the contrary that it's happening in Morocco. Like people are trying to articulate. Mm. Mm. Right. Mm. Okay. So the floor is open. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting paper. There is a lot of questions. I got two questions. Are this Uladli from Western Sahara? Uh, no. You know, there's a trap in Western Sahara called Uladli? Mm, mm. No, no, but. Very important mm. trap. No, they are not. You don't know? No, no, they are not. They are, they not. are not. No, no, okay. they are not. Second question Any important archives which will tell us the origin of this Ulad Lee, available in Morocco and France or elsewhere, um, and original archives? The, 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 so it's, it's not... An archive, for example, mm -hmm. to whom the land belonged to, whether the... in the land registry, <coughs> to whom that land where they were sitting belonged to, either during the colonialism, the, the thing is that because it was a warrior tribe, they were, uh, you know, it's like with the Harka yeah. of, of the Sultan, so they were displaced all the time. So the, they were displaced now in Rabat in the 19th century uh, after their rebellion in Fes, because when they were in Fes, they, they have like take the city and put away the sultan, so but <laughs> another history. So 
he decided to dis displace them in Rabat and also to divide them. Some of them were displaced in Meknes, uh, other in Rabat, other in in, uh, in house house in Marrakesh. So we find also Gish Ludaya in Marrakesh. So th this tribe was divided, and uh, you know that also that the territory before the colonialism was no one territory because the very small private property. And all the, the, the interpretation of uh, land law is, was made by, yes, by the colonial anthropologists like Michaud Belair or, or something like that. And it's, uh, it's you know, it's, uh, they have like strange interpretation of uh, fact history. But what we know is that uh, before Yes, when when the colonial power uh, arrive in in in, uh, in Morocco, they find the Gishludeya in Rabat, and uh, the Gishludeya was acting as a real owner of the of the land, like they were selling <coughs> the land, so it was not really state land. And during like I think the five uh, first year of the colonialism, there was a big debate. Like, uh, are we uh, doing the same thing that in uh, in Algeria, and uh, for like, I don't remember the, this name. Okay, the the the, the very well known uh, law for the collective land that they uh, make put in place mm -hmm. la politique de contentement, mm -hmm. which uh, take all the ownership of the of the people or not. So they, they decided that in Morocco they will not do the same that in Algeria because of the rebellion that takes place in Algeria, etc., etc. But for the Gishland, there was the big debate and they still, okay, we will see. We will see, we will see, we will see. And uh, every Gish tribe, like in Meknes, in Tanja, in uh, Marrakesh, they, it was also, uh, every Gish, it was a specific case for each Gish tribe. So, for example, in near, uh, near Kenitra, uh, they, they take the land of the people. But the Gish today, of Rabat because they were very strong, uh, they managed to have a deal with the Sultan, with Muhammad al-Khamis. Mm. And the deal was uh, set in Dahir uh, of uh, 1946. And they said that the, the, the ownership, the real ownership, uh, was given to the Gish Ludaya tribe as a collective ownership. But after the independence, this Dahir and many of other Dahirs like mm -hmm. this disappeared. So now uh, I, I, yes, I, I didn't manage to find it. Maybe I have to go in the colonial archive in Nantes. Mm -hmm. Maybe I will find it. But this is the only document we, we can. It's, this document is mentioned in some old. A court appeal mm. of judgment, but we yes we cannot because find it in the in the archive. The the work of my friend Paul Paul Pascon mm -hmm. did not mention these groups in his work mm -hmm. and how and in his work. 
Jean Lecauze Jean worked on the Guiche tribe. Jean Lecauze. Jean Lecauze, yeah. yes. Not Pascon, but Jean Lecauze. Yeah. Thank you very much. I, I have a few very practical questions. Um, I mean, this is interesting because in one form or another, this is going on everywhere, whether it's indigenous. Tonight, for example, there's a big protest outside Southwark Town Hall because of a proposal by a big Australian company in collaboration with the council to demolish a huge public housing estate, which will be for, you know, uh, expensive developments and ethnic social cleansing in London. Right. So that's where I'm coming from, is to draw some wider parallels. And there were just a few trivial points I'd like to clarify. You mentioned CDG a few times. I don't mm. know what it is. Ah, uh, yes, CDG is a, 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 a public institution. Uh, it's uh, in English. No, no, it's, it's le trésor public. The take all, all. Trésor public. Yes. The, the treasury. No. Yes, I don't know how we said it. In oh, English. caisse de la dette générale or something. No. It's something like this. It's it it takes the the money of the taxes of the citizen, okay. and it invests uh, this money. So it's like a public bank. Right. In uh, okay. in. Uh, it's the same in French. I don't know if you have this institution in Great Britain. <coughs> but that, that explains some of it. And I, my interest is in the economic and financial one. So can you tell me a, a bit more about the Riyadh Development Company, who owns it, the bigger institutions behind it, and, you know, international links and so mm. on. And to what extent is it owned or otherwise, whatever, with the king who has a huge business interests that make the House of Saud look, you know, mm -hmm. even, uh, impoverished? <laughs> the, the, in the case of, of, of the, of the Gish Ludeya, so all the Hayriyad, uh, there is no international uh, investor. It's all linked to the CDG, and the CDG is very closely linked to the king, of oh, course. Surprise. But I, I'm really not good in economy, <laughs> and uh, I know that, but I, I don't know ex exactly how to explain how the king is linked to the CDG, but is very well known from everything, and uh, from everyone. And La Société d'Aménagement Riyadh, is the first um, uh, public-private uh, company that was created in uh, so in the 70s, no, in the uh, 80s, in 83, uh, in order to to yes, in order to construct to build the Hayriyat neighborhood. And actually, it's it's pretty interesting also because. Uh, if you are interested in economic uh, politics, uh, it's the, that uh, Hayriad. First of all, the, the, the like the political project of Hayriad was to take the land of the of the Gish uh, tribe to give them to uh, to like teacher in the university and all these things because it was just after the big contest mobilization of uh, of. Uh, 
65 I have a problem with uh, numbers in English <laughs> oh, yes of, of 65 and it was a student movement a, a big one so one of uh, one of the way that Hassan Hassan Tani the, the former decided to to calm down its repression <coughs> of course but also to take the land and to give it to teachers and uh, uh, professors in uh, in <coughs> the public sectors and uh, he did it uh, on the 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 the, the Gish land because they were considered as state land because the Dahir was disappeared so uh, but uh, during 10 years, with the, during the 70s and the 80s, because you know, in, in Morocco the state was very new and it was a very uh, conflictual period. So uh, yes, the, invest, the, the public investor who was uh, normally uh, has to like to build the, the, the this neighborhood, uh, yeah didn't work so so they decided oh well what we will do we will do a private public uh, company uh, to impulse this neighborhood because like the people getting angry and what is interesting it's during the 90s the, the this company la société d'aménagement riad which is uh, how is that filial a branch. branch, yes, a branch of, of the CDG, uh, decided to make Hayriad a, a luxury a neighborhood. So we also we have this shift of uh, this shift of neoliberalism, which is very interesting to, to see. So Hayriad is the is the first uh, ville nouvelle, uh, I don't know what, or the first big urban project. Uh, of of Morocco. This is a very an, uh, it's an experience for Morocco. Uh, yes. But the company itself, the Riyadh company, it's that it's a profit making company. Yes. So, they're, so they are making profit out of land development, right? So it's going on elsewhere in Morocco and so on. What kind of support? This is my last question. What kind of support do these? Uh, um, Workers and peasants get from other other workers, other tribe, other. What publicity do they get? What support? Uh, no one. <laughs> there are no no yes no support. They are super lonely. Uh, for many reasons <coughs> because um, uh, our political scene in Morocco like. Uh, uh, the activists uh, and all that stuff, they are really uh, focused on human rights violation, but like for journalists or what is very linked to democracy or the constitution of the law, so all the all this struggle about land and all these things, that they have no support. But there is also a shift uh, in Morocco and the I think the, the the big shift was like this year in 2017 with the Hirak because uh, yeah, it, it, <coughs> it emphasizes this thing of like the social movement is or like 
uh, yes, the new social movement will not come from journalists or uh, political elite, but uh, will come from the margin. And now we have, like LAMDH, the big uh, human rights NGO in Morocco, uh, that begins to care about this thing, about land, about water, about uh, all these things. My question is a bit similar. So, there is a, tri a group of uh, women who are the heads of tribes in Morocco, uh, the Sulaviyat, and they they work in partnership with uh, NGOs, women NGOs in particular. And it it has taken a legalistic approach, and it's I don't know how about the outcomes, but it's an approach that's been um, developed since 20 years, and it's it's working in a certain way. Some women were uh, allowed to uh, get some land back. So I'm thinking, wouldn't they benefit from some kind of partnership with this tribe, the Gishudaya? Or is it a choice that the Gishudaya the tribes are making of not being linked to any kind of formal organizations, NGOs? Thing? Is it a, f um, a political choice that they make? No, of course not. <laughs> but uh, the, the the movement of the Sulaliyet, of it's a big movement, yes, of women, uh, led by l'ADFM, l'Association de Femmes Démocratiques Marocaines. But uh, this uh, NGO is a is a liberal. They have a liberal liberal approach. So uh, so they help. Yes, and and they, of course they, they, it was a pretty good uh, work. They helped women to inherit from the land. And uh, in this case, uh, the, the, the Gish women inherit, it's their children, they didn't. And like the LADFM will never go in the confrontation with the states, because now it's involved, we talk about corruption, while talking like uh, with something else. And also the Gish case, it's it's difficult because it involves the CDG, so it's not. Uh, it's as it's a, it's a it's a big big political case, and it's. Uh, I think that a lot of people like also get away from this case because they they cannot. For example, the uh, during the campaign we managed to 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 convince the. Uh, the ZEM, the principal uh, like uh, television chain, uh, to come to to the Gishland, and they do a little reportage. They they film the inhabitant, but they ca they call the inhabitant like I think two two days after, and they said, well, I'm, "We are sorry, like we cannot screen it." And did you get any trouble um, by, because of shooting the documentary or something? No, because I have a very small uh, camera, because I was not uh, doing a documentary at first. I was just filming like the testimony of the, the, the inhabitant and putting them in YouTube. So, uh, and also I'm not a filmmaker, so the authority, they didn't pay attention uh, of that. I, I was lucky also, I think. So you think if it were a foreign uh, group uh, or like a foreign researcher coming, that would be more visible? And a foreign researcher, it will, he will be expelled from Morocco, of course. <laughs> 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 That's sure. But they cannot expel the Moroccan. 
so that's the problem for them. <laughs> also, one last question. In your paper, you uh, mentioned the, the people living in the villas, and one of the, the, mm. the person who was deprived from the land, she was saying, oh, I'm a cleaner in their house. Mm. Uh, do these people from the elite, are they conscious at all that, uh, of the, the situation? Do, do they even know that they're no, no, indigenous, they indigenous men? No, no. They, they are, they, 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 uh, one of the things that is interesting with the screening of the documentary is that a lot of time I have people uh, from Hayriyad that comes to see the documentary and they all come to me that uh, we just didn't know about all of that. That's one of the, I think, the the strength of the yes of the liberalism. It's the the way they eradicate memory. It's, it's very strong. That's also, I think, why the why the recording is very important in this case. Uh, thank you very much. Yes, um, I have a question. Maybe I have overheard something, but um, you mentioned that um, that they don't really recognize themselves as one of the tribes, or like the, the tribe, if I answer that, like the people that get expelled. Mm -hmm. um, do they consider themselves as a tribe, like one of these like ancient tribes we were talking about, or not anymore? Because I didn't really get that. Because I was just, I'm, I'm trying to understand, because I, Basically, they don't um, they don't consider themselves as uh, slum dwellers, mm -hmm. but um, like with the country or like the the, the land uh, that they're occupying at getting like stable mm -hmm. so many years ago, what what were they considered? You know, like what is their like what first what is their legal status and second what do they consider themselves? So what is like their identity basically? Like, uh, 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 of course, they are a tribe. They consider themselves as a tribe. But tribe is a, uh, you know, it's an old concept. Like it's not linked to the to the land. And uh, as I said, in Morocco, uh, land uh, was no one land before the colonial power. So the tribe is like it's a community. It's not uh, it's it's not particularly linked to one land. So you can. Uh, like uh, even if the the state privatized the land and even they are expelled, the, the identity of the Gish tribe, uh, of Ait Atta tribe, or I, I don't think any else, uh, it's still like relevant. So they are they are a tribe, uh, and the, the, the Gish tribe is uh, is is very well known. We we study it in the, in schools, you know. Like the Gish tribe is a very well known tribe. Uh, and the legal status, uh, they, they are not, they, they don't have the ownership, of course, of of the land, in the law. But uh, but uh, but they consider that this is their land, of course. But they are like legal citizen, like they have like the full rights that yeah. everyone else has. Normally, yes. Okay, because that's what I'm, what I'm like, what I was hinting at, because. They are putting themselves on the same like step with slum slum dwellers, um, and like saying we are not slum dwellers, implicating that they um, getting like that they are not getting recognition of their rights by being so. That's uh, Fatmi, for example, says that we are intern refugees. 
That's one one term that 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 he used. That we are unturned refugees, and and after three years of of struggle, uh, one of the, of the inhabitants said that um, if we are not still Moroccan, just tell us, and it's okay. <laughs> and one of the things also that we we were joking about is to do a caravan to do to go to Algeria because basically. There are no Moroccan anymore, so they said, "Okay, maybe we can go to Algeria. Maybe they would accept us and give us a house or something like that." <laughs> but it was a joke, of course. <laughs> Is there any sense in which the municipality contradicts the state or plays any role in? They're thinking about an alternative political space or power to make a difference in supporting their struggle. I, I was thinking about that, uh, and specifically because one of uh, one of the member of the municipality was running for election, Omar Balafrey, <laughs> is a member of like small leftist party of opposition. So just before the election, uh, I call him and I said to him, okay, you know, you have this, I call him many times, but now it was like just before the election, so I said, maybe, <laughs> because he wanted people to vote, I said, maybe it would like, so I call him, I said, well, you know, it was like these people, they were expelled from the land, it's the Gish tribe, and nah, nah, the right, not the right, and ta -ta 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 -ta. It's, it's two years now, people are not going to school, so we have like human rights violation, ta -ta 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 -ta. and he said, oh yes, but you know, it's the election, so I'm very busy. I said, yes, I know, that's, that's why I call you, it's because the election, and they are in your secret speeches, so maybe they can vote to you and he said ah oh, okay okay and uh, okay i will i will send someone and nothing and after that uh, uh and just also for the for the <laughs> for the anecdote the the, the one uh, the one who who, who i am cutting in the paper with said of Hayriad. We're telling that you, you find it like normal to open your windows and find cows. Is also a member of, uh, of of this party. Is also running for election in this neighborhood. So yes, after that, like one year after, uh, the, the the documentary was released, and I was surprised because the head of this party, uh, who is women, uh, come to the to to the release of the documentary. And because it was the press and all the things, she's, of course, she take the mic and said, it's totally like uh, unjust and unfair and we will do something, blah, 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 blah. And uh, after that, uh, she comes to me and she said, oh, like, you do great work and I know as a politician we have to take uh, this case and that, that, that. I said, of course, <laughs> you have to, that's why I'm doing this. And, 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 oh, also, we try to call her after the inhabitants try to call her a lot, a lot of time, and no answer. So I think that uh, I think that there is big interest. Uh, I don't. I think they are big interest, and I think that um, the municipality like. Uh, 
but it's 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 not funny, but it's kind of funny <coughs> because last year, this guy Omar Balafrej uh, organized a demonstration demonstration in Hayriyat, an ecologic demonstration for trees, <laughs> and it was about that in the. So it's so it's funny. <laughs> it was about that in the first planning of the 80s, they were telling that hey, had, uh, Riyadh, the means of Riyadh, it's very cynical, the means of Riyadh is a garden. Mm. So uh, this hey, Riyadh, this garden, was not a garden because they don't plant and all the trees that they were planning to, to plant. So they do a demonstration, an ecological demonstration for that, yeah. but not for the privatization of the... If I, if I could just follow up, are there other cities in Morocco who have taken up similar kinds of land issues in a progressive manner? No. In other words, we're seeing other places around the world where cities are becoming more progressive in relation to their states on these kinds of issues. Um, the the guiche uh, uh, of, of Tanger in the north, uh, but it was in the colonial time. Uh, there was th they made an experience in Tanger. They give uh, the private property to each inhabitant. So it, th this is one example, but it was in the in the colonial uh, time, and it was for an, an experimentation. And uh, also the guiche in, in Marrakech. They, uh, after I don't know, twenty years of fighting, now they managed to uh, <coughs> have been recompensated uh, because, of course, they also they privatize the land, ta, 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 ta. but not that much. But now in Morocco, like cities are not progressive at all. The city are really think as a ghetto city. Like the, the, the everything is like we the poor are in the ghetto and the rich are in the ghetto and uh, that's the model of uh, urban planning in Morocco. Deprived from the land, but not relocated or compensated. Where are they now? In the street. And how come? I, I mean, Rabat is the city where everything has to look clean, and it's the city of the king. So normally, this uh, city without slum program, they try to be more zealous about it, maybe in Rabat. But how come in this particular situation, they didn't? Not even give some money or something. No, they they give money. The problem is the corruption. And the other problem also uh, that I discover after, and also this is interesting about like uh, resistance and how to help resistance and some, or maybe not to not help a resistance, is that uh, now they will not negotiate with them because uh, because they talk to the media, they publicize the the struggle, and there was a, another two. Two plot of Dishland in Rabat, they are privatizing, and one of the arguments that the authority used with the people is to say, you have to accept our condition, because if you don't accept our condition, we will finish like the Duwar Red Lim and they are still in the street now, so accept it. 
that's one of the arguments. And but in the uh, for the technique of uh, invisibilization, they are pretty smart because uh, you know there is a constriction. So if you know Morocco, uh, when there is a constriction, there are always people who constrict who the, like the uh, the the workers. They always have like uh, tents living in there. So uh, when you pass in front of the Warred Lim, you just think that it's the workers that living there. Can I just get back on <coughs> this resistance? This is something new to us in Morocco, probably nine, nine, about from 2000 onwards. It really becomes very interesting. Uh, we knew, uh, whenever I travel down deep south, right down to Gulme, MCD, and did this many times, many, many reporting for my, the media work for. I find it very, very interesting the way people now involved in asking for their rights, which was not the case 15, 20 years during King Hassan. I witnessed two protests, one in Gulnim and one in Rabat. When the police started beating the protestants, protest, the, protest, the women were shouting at them. Mm. And they used very, very strong language, which uh, to me, Watching, watching world for more than or reporting on for like 40 years. This is something new. I don't bother very much about about corruption, mm. because for me, as long as corruption is properly controlled, like under King Hassan, it's okay because that's help economy. <laughs> and. Uh, Quite honestly, even now, if you don't fight hard for your right, you don't produce, you get nothing done. I have done this, I have been doing this all my life. I don't go to those who know someone to help me out. But this is something, resistance is in you. I don't think it's progressing, it's doing, it's, do, it's doing okay. It's good to see resistance, especially from young generation and, and women, which, as I said, for me, is something new during the last 20 years. And every time I go to Morocco, I learn more. <coughs> I have a lot of friends who live in Hyria, and they benefited from that land. Mm. You mentioned one of them in the beginning, in Muda. Mm. Good friend of mine. I stay with him occasionally. I was wondering whether you remember the late King Hassan. He wanted actually to. He had a belt, green belt, mm -hmm. stopping the rapid expansion. Mm 
Because it's getting, just expanding, all the Greenland is swept away. I wonder what uh, that uh, solution was, his own solution to stop uh, when he put this green belt to get more land for free. Right, so the question about something new, innovation and resistance, and the other one about uh, previous kinds of urban planning and green belt? Uh, something new about women in resistance, I don't know because I, <laughs> I never see before, so I just know now. But it's true that now uh, women are also protesting. But I don't know because when we, when just I just read books, uh, and in books we can see like for the resistance to colonialism also women were super present so I, I don't know maybe something has changed but I never lived it so I I, I, I don't know but uh, yeah, actually it's true that uh, that in Morocco there's a lot a lot a lot a lot of uh, small resistance and what is new for me is not this small resistance like in Sidi Ifni or Gouvmin in 2008 and after like in Gishludeya or Carrière Centrale, or I don't know, I also witnessed a lot, a lot of small struggles. But it's the shift that in 2070s with the Herak in the Rif, that's, that's amazing to see how, how a small smuggle, a struggle begins a big social movement and, and uh, destabilized all the country. It's not only the Rif, it's all the country and how it's only based on social demands. That's, uh, that's I think, it's very interesting. And about the Green Belt, uh, yes, the Green Belt was the first project to stop uh, the expansion of, of Rabat, but uh, it didn't work. Uh, but I really, I, I don't know a lot about the Green Belt. I know that there's a lot, a lot of study about that, but I never, like, I, I've, I cannot say a lot about about this. Mm. Anyone who hasn't spoken yet? I just wondered if you could just give us some more analysis of the word, um, you know, huck or my right. The, you know, it's very prominent. People are demanding their rights. Can you say what that means? Why they use the the, the term? Why they what? use the word? What does it mean? You know, how how is it being deployed? I mean, it's a very overdetermined word, isn't it? Because it can mean something you deserve financially. It can mean something much more abstract. It can mean a political principle. Uh, you know, there's a lot of possibility. I mean, it could mean human rights. You know, Google and say. So what what does it what does it mean? You, you asked me the the same question. <laughs> Did I? Yeah. <laughs> in the workshop about the right of housing, but I I, I, I don't know really. The, okay. the only thing that I know is that it's a it's a good question that uh, okay. somehow it's good to answer, but I don't have the okay. real answer. Right, but but in concrete terms, are right? Is it that the right to be compensated, or is it obviously perhaps it's broader? The right to live in a in a house and have a have a field and continue to have usufruct of the land. 
I mean, so it's, it's socio-economic, but, but there's also something more than that going on. What is interesting, it's like in two, after 2011, when I begin like my, my research and my, my first field was on uh, uh, informal housing of people who, who were, uh, uh, yes, uh, constructed their, their house in the half informal housing, they, are, they were also using this thing, al-haq second, the, the, the right, uh, right of housing. And, and also they were using the word citizenship lots muatana and uh, and the, the right to decent life uh, this concept are super present and I, I i was like very surprised in 2012 to in this like little little um, informal quarters to 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 listen to people use this this concept and i said i this is one. Uh, this is one of the things of like the democratization of um, uh, of uh, Muhammad Sadis and uh, all the social institution that becomes to like because in the television it's it's now it's everyone uh, hears about citizenship about rights and I said our people re reappropriate this this concept. That was one of my hypotheses, but I don't know. It's just me thinking. <laughs> and after, uh, after, after this, all the all the struggles that I witnessed, all like this in Gishludeya, when I studied, also, it's it's true that w they are really using this thing: state of law, citizenship. Uh, the right of decent life, the right of housing, uh, the right to go to school, it's, it's super present. But I don't know, it's not linked also to the globalization and all the, the everything is shaped by the law now. You know also with the UN, UN discourse and mm -hmm. the UN discourse is reappropriated by the state and then the state uh, make uh, social institution and uh, NGOs and yeah. I, I don't know it's not like in this in this uh, but I, just in it because <laughs> it's a big question but I don't have a specific answer yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you just a little insight on the word I think in Morocco the way we use it sometimes is for example when you cook a meal and then you some your brother is not here for example you say I left you your haq in mm. the fridge and it means your fair share of it mm. and maybe that's also another use of the word and maybe yes. that's why it's being claimed so much I don't know I think it's linked also to, to, to the dictatorship of Hassan because when Mohammed Sis comes to, 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 to power he really wanted to make a break uh, with his father and he focuses on the, on the state of law like we, now we are in democracy so now we have the rights Yeah, I, I, I happen to think it's, it's such a, it's an important word. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, you would never say I've left you your right in the fridge in English, right? <laughs> so, but, but it's an old usage, what you're referring to as far as I know. I've seen that usage in 19th century Egypt, you know. Uh, so, but it can also mean taxes, you know, what tax I ought to give or not. And so, 
so it has so many layers, but isn't it, I mean, if you can have this kind of proverbial wisdom, common mm. sense, like the household language, but also a language that carries the force of a claim made in public, <coughs> But, 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 but it's not legal, is it? Not really. Or is it? It's not a le it doesn't refer to a legal process. No, 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 it? it's not legal. No, no, it's really not legal because in the informal houses, they, they, they don't have the no. right to, to, no. to build. But no. they said, okay, we have the right to, yeah. To, yeah. To, to have a house. Yeah. And in the so it's, it's really not legal. They say we have a right to a job. They, you know, mm. give us a job. It's our right. So. But I think it's, it's, it's very linked to the state, because everyone knows that, uh, like in the common sense, in like for ordinary people, everyone knows that they have to, to fight within the state, not without the state. Mm -hmm. And the only language that the state understands is the law, because it's the state. So I think that everything begins the law, like the the law to yes. Well, you were just saying that they were they were framing this by jumping outside the state, going beyond, and saying we are not Moroccan anymore. The state has failed us. So the, the state is the failure. Right? Yes, the state is the failure, but also for the the so, the social domains, the only the so only the identity that is yes the is the state. Yeah. Because they have no, there's nothing else. There's the state. No? <laughs> hmm. That's the failure so, of our politics, isn't it? <laughs> 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 there's a comparison here between land in Zimbabwe, white and mm. black, and South Africa, expropriation of land by the white man, uh, on the sort of comparison in here. I think that the comparison can be interesting, like, because in the case of of, uh, of all this thing of apartheid or of uh, there is race uh, involved in this, I think that people can, like, uh, make the demands <coughs> without the state, because the state is seen as, like, a colonial state or as an apartheid state, and there was a race things involved, but in Morocco it's not the case, so that's the problem also, that we are really linked to, to the state. And also the state is also the king, so... Everything is... Well, the king has no clothes. Because, you, for example, when you see the Hirak, the social demand of the Hirak is like hospital, uh, roads, universities, very basic social <coughs> demand. But the first thing that the state uh, invokes is that they are against the, king, the state, so they are against the stability of the state, so they are against the king, so we will put them in jail. And now they are facing like a penalty of death because of that, because of claiming hospital. So we see that in Morocco, yes, we have to claim with the state, like we have to be with the state, because if you're not with the state, like it's very easy to... Can I ask, there's an interesting paper at Mesa just a, a few weeks, a couple of months ago, Hebatullah Khalil, about protest in a small village in the Delta in Egypt. Mm -hmm. And she said, and these people, they assembled 
in a public space and demanded the right to a road that would connect the village as well, and the right to schooling and um, a few other things, facilities, infrastructure, health, right? They assembled in a public space and made the demand, but what they said is, we are not doing a demonstration. This is not a mazara. They said it's, uh, ah, what was the word? I can't remember, but they had some other word for it. And they said, because it's not politics, mm -hmm. it's nothing to do with the people in the city, mm. all those, you know, terrible political Facebook youth or something. You know, this is, uh, it's, this is just our right, and we have nothing to do with politics, and, uh, and we, but we, see, we make these demands. Uh, and they do, and they were, there were at least three things she specified that looked a bit, you know, there was the demonstration that wasn't the demonstration, and there were a couple of other things. Mm. And, um, and of course that raises lots of questions about the difficulty of articulating an urban struggle or a political line of action with uh, demands that are socio-economic, or it raises, or, or, but, you know, can we refer to those demands as socio-economic anyway, because... And, and Hebat al-Khalil doesn't want to do that because that puts them in a certain compartment. In Egypt, it means they're, you know, sectoral fitawi. It means you can't respond to them because they're not, you know, responsible on the national reconstruction mm -hmm. that has to happen and security. And so, uh, is there that like this? Because obviously, if there's a worry about if you publicise your struggle, you might suffer the brunt of more repression. Is there a, do they have a story about this is not politics, we're not the same as X or Y, what we, we just demand our rights as, as, as members of the tribe or, mem or Moroccans or citizens, or is there a kind of that sort of language? Or? Of, of course, the, the, and, and also that's why what's happening now in Morocco is very interesting because there was a, an implicit uh, deal in 2011 between the states and ordinary people. Mm. It was, okay, do not do politics, do not join the 20 February movement, do not like join this Facebook youth and do not ask about democracy and all this, do not do politics. Mm. And we will give you social rights. Right. Uh, that's why the informal housing, that's why also uh, Ben Kiran uh, has the, all the, the social discourse, that's what a lot of things. But between 2011 and 2013, uh, the state didn't do nothing structurally. They uh, raised the pay of uh, the police, and uh, at the beginning they let people do informal housing and uh, informal uh, selling, street vendors. Uh, and after that, they they cut it in 2013. And and in 2014, between 2013 and 2014, people understand that actually this deal will not work because also the privatization begins, and and they are starting to talk about privatization of the health, privatization of the school, and all this thing, and. Uh, People understand in 2014 begins to understand that okay they don't have the strength to do politics because th there is the repression but still if they do not talk about politics they will have nothing and it's super interesting because I followed th this struggle 
of Gish Ludeyev during four years to see like the evolution of the discourse. <coughs> and the evolution is of the discourse begin the more and more politics. And and in 2017s in uh, like uh, this last year in the reef there was a big social movement who talk about politics. And mm -hmm. for me this is really the evolution. It's, it's not specific of Gish, or it's not specific of the Reef, it's not specific of... Uh, and, and now in Morocco we can see that people understand that if you want to claim social demands, we have to say it is a demonstration and it is about politics and it is about corruption and it is, it is about everything. Okay. But not the king, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Still okay. not the king. But there was like this evolution. So... During yes, the beginning of 2014, this was this thing. It's not politics. It's not demonstration. It's not just about our right. Okay. But you know, this the deception begins. Also, okay. people being more conscious. Or I don't know. If you and is your sense that the, sorry, to, that the provision came, but then it was siphoned off by intermediaries before it got to people, or there was no provision from the top? Because isn't there? A, People say there. Well, there is. Uh, isn't there? Um, uh, oh, was there a move to respond to socio-economic demands by the central authorities, mm -hmm. and then the the forms of uh, either compensation or patronage or provision were taken away by intermediaries through corruption, or was there no response from the top? No, res no, no, there was no, no response. response. No, okay. no response. Okay. And uh, also, this is one of, of uh, one of the things that is interesting now in Morocco is also to stu to study the public discourse because now the public and and also the king discourse. The king discourse is very interesting because one of the the last king discourse. Uh, was very clear. He says that, okay, our state is in a total failure. We failed in everything. We have just two things that it works in Morocco, the police and the private sector. <laughs> so it was also a very clear message. <laughs> well, some people who maybe have some doubts. <laughs> but this is also, so there is this very liberal discourse that there is the police and there is the private sector, and that's all. But if we don't talk about this, this, uh, yes, this thing, we can see that the king said that there was a f state failure. He said that all our political development was a failure. Like 20 years of political development was a failure. And this is said by, by the king. That's not nothing. It's, the king is everything in Morocco. Uh, so, my interpretation to the King's discourse, but also to the public discourse that is said by all the ministry and all how we see how the, the, the state is trying to deal with this thing of political prisoner in the Hirak, uh, that is that our state is now, he, I think that he, he yes, the, the model of, 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 uh, of the state is, uh, I would say in English, uh, it's uh, mm. <laughs> in English. This uh, um, the, the state knows that 
he has no solution now and and uh, we can, we, really we we can we can see that because even the intermediary that he used to use uh, for the social movement failed with the Hirak and uh, mm. the the public uh, politics uh, they didn't have no public politics to respond to to the Hirak and everything is is blocked in Morocco and everything is blo is blocked before the Hirak everything is blocked uh, since the re-election of the of the PJD of the principal political party of opposition so i think that the destabilization destabilization of the political structure uh, in morocco in 2011 it just had the consequence now that we can see we can see it i think now any final questions or comments <coughs> or so would you like to say anything to conclude? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I have, unfortunately, I have no conclusion. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. Let's see. <laughs> All right, then. So thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> So can I uh, uh, tell you that there is another Middle East Centre event on Wednesday the 24th of January, so on the eve of the anniversary of the Egyptian uprising of 25th of January 2011, it's, uh, and it's Adel Iskander who's going to be reflecting on the changes that have taken place in Egypt uh, over the last seven years, so that's uh, Wednesday the 24th of January and he's been you know, an important public figure since that time. The next event in this series because remember, this series is about social movements and popular mobilisation in the Middle East and North Africa. Quite an interesting one, I hope. Tuesday the 6th of March, it's uh, Robin Rodriguez, and she's talking about Filipino mobilisation in Saudi Arabia. It's quite rare, but, like, um, but you know, Filipino migrant workers, Filipina and Filipino in Saudi Arabia, and you know, mobilizing for their rights, especially looking at you know the sending state as well. So that's the next event, and that's on Tuesday, the sixth of March, in in this series. But the main thing for today is uh, you know to thank uh, Soraya very much because I think that this is an important topic, and of course there's connections all around the world with you know social cleansing and so on. But there's also uh, and um, you know, very important uh, social, economic, and political problems at stake. You know, real struggles and uh, uh, real lives, and, and so on. So I think it's an important uh, issue. And thank you very much indeed thank for you. coming and enlightening thank us. You. Thanks to the audience for your questions and engagement.